So this message uh, today is on identity. And uh, as I started to pray about this and seek the Lord, uh, one of the things I wanted to do was, was I wanted to see what the dictionary said about identity. So this is what it says. The fact of being who or what a person or thing is. This is what identity is. And we, we know that by what Tom's been preaching, Eric's been preaching. We know this. Uh, but the world's twisted the actual meaning of identity. And, uh, and have you noticed when you've talked to some, pe- some people and asked them who they are, they oftentimes respond, I'm a carpenter, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a painter, I'm a pastor, I'm all these things. And it's, uh, it's, it's not who they are, it's what they do. This is not who we are. What we do is not who we are, right? And so uh, some people get their identity from their work. And uh, how many of us got our identity from our parents or our friends? Right, people we hang around with, family members. So why do you think people get their identity from their work? Because a lot of people do. They get their identity from their work because uh, they've never been told they were actually valuable growing up by their parents and friends. They were either ridiculed or talked down to. Uh, I can remember myself personally, I was never told. My, my father actually never told me he loved me until I was 40 years old. I never heard that out of his mouth. And as we went through the healing today, one of the things I got healed from was uh, the performance-based father. And I never could perform well enough. And guess what I did to my children? The same thing. It's performance-based. So I've had to actually walk through this healing with my children. Uh, I've had to go to all my adult children and apologize and ask for forgiveness for my behavior and the way that I raised them because I didn't always raise them in a godly way. I always expected too much out of them. And that never ends well. They weren't nurtured and they didn't have the truth of God spoken over them. That's why people get their identity from their work. How many of us had... uh, how many of us in our lives uh, have had people say that we wouldn't amount to anything or that we're worthless? And, and believe it or not, there's actually people that walk through life and that's what's spoken over them, that they're not going to amount to a thing. These are the things that people actually grow up with. And here's the problem with that. When we hear this over and over and over again, we start to believe it. This becomes who I am. This is my new identity. I'm a loser. I'm worthless. I can't accomplish anything. I can't do anything right. I wanted to read you uh, Proverbs 18:21, and it's out of the Passion Translation. It says, "Your words are so powerful that they will kill or give life." And the talkative person will reap the consequences. We've all heard this before. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So what are we saying? Not only to the people around us, but to ourselves. We oftentimes bring ourselves down because we say that we're worthless. I'm not not worth anything. Because this is always what's been spoken inside of me. 
How about an identity crisis? Everybody heard of that? This is, this is what the, the dictionary says. A period of uncertainty and confusion in which a person's sense of identity becomes insecure, typically due to a change in their expected aims or role in society. Uncertainty, confusion, expected aims. So I'm walking out my life and I'm thinking I'm going this way and this is not working out because I end up over here because I've aimed for here. My expected aims have changed. And so it's like, what's going on? I'm not doing what I, was, what I wanted to do. I'm clear over here. So I, so I, you know, this is Jeff being transparent. So I started to struggle because uh, I started to do too much introspection. I did, honestly, I did. Uh, introspection is good because we need to see what's going on inside of us. And if there's something wrong, we need to change it, right? But too much introspection is not good if we stay there, if we continue to, to, to dwell on the things that we've done wrong. And that's, and that's what I did. Uh, I started to look at my past and wonder, did I miss it, God? Did I miss what I was supposed to do? Uh, because of the choices that I'd made in the past. And I, you can ask my wife, I, I struggled for a long time with this. Uh, I asked myself and God, uh, what if I had done this or what if I had done that? Would I even be serving you, Lord, or would I be serving the world? I didn't have the answer. And the more I thought about it and the more I dwelt on that, uh, I kind of started going into a depression. I started getting depressed. And uh, I wasn't hearing from God. I didn't care if I came to church. Quite honestly, I didn't. Uh, I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. And it seemed like everything in life was a drag to me. It just drug me down. I was hopeless. And I truly was experiencing identity crisis. Because I didn't know who I was. One of the things Tom shared, and, and it was just so good uh, during her sermon on sonship, was uh, crisis depletes our identity. Nothing truer. Absolutely nothing truer. Because w when we walk through these crises, uh, some, sometimes we just lose ourselves. Who, who are we? Depending on how severe they are. And that's exactly what happened to me. We can get such a funk that it, we literally change the way that we think. And I know this is not just me this is the world this is this is this is it this is the world we live in we start thinking toxic thoughts and they start to dominate our thinking but there is hope right there's hope because we were never meant to walk out this life alone we were never meant to be the lone ranger Right? We're not meant to be doing all these things by ourselves. Uh, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, So wrap your heart tightly around the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. Discover creative ways to encourage others, to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works of expressions of love. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. Do we take time to meet together and encourage each other like we're supposed to? I know we do connect groups. I know we do that. But, you know, 
it's, it's almost sometimes like we have this certain group of people that we hang around with. Do we hang around with other people? Because <clears throat> probably the people that are hanging around in groups are the people that are struggling. And they need us to come alongside of them. They need us to uh, uplift and encourage them. Are we doing that? Or, or is our life so busy day in and day out that we don't have time for people? Uh, I, I know sometimes that's happened with me. That's where I've been. And uh, I've, really, I've really struggled with that. And do we take the time to meet together? Not always. How many of us have something to do every night that has no actual eternal value? That's just busyness. Maybe we're taking our kids to sports day in, day out. Practices, games. Maybe we're doing whatever. Too busy on our phone. I don't have time. I don't have time to go over to Chad and Christina's house because I'm doing my hair, right? <laughs> do we take the time to do these things? And the answer is most of the time, no. And we're called to do that. Why? We're called to uplift and encourage each other. And we're called to speak identity into people. We, we know this as a prophetic group. We're called to, to mine out the gold. This is what we see in people. This is what I see in you, even though you don't see it in yourself, right? See, I've, uh, I've surrounded myself with people that love the Lord and love me. And I, I want to encourage each and every one of you to do that. It's about accountability. And uh, if any of you have been around me long enough, you know that I'm all for accountability partners. I'm huge on it because we deal with so many problems in marriages all the time. And they could be avoided if we had accountability partners. Because accountability partners ask us some really tough questions sometimes. Like, how are you doing? How, you still struggling with pornography? You still struggling with addiction? You, what is it? What's going on inside of you? Right? And that's what accountability partners are. We have to be open and vulnerable to people. And we don't like to do that because it's scary. We don't like to, sh to share uh, the things that's going on inside of us because we're afraid that we'll be rejected, made fun of, or ostracized, pushed away. Why don't we want to share? I don't know, but I've been there myself. I have three accountability partners, and this is me being real again. Eric is one of them, and as I was sharing with Eric what was going on with me, I shared with him on my upward swing. I'd already pretty much bottomed out, and I was coming up from, from my, my funk that I was in, right? And as I'm sharing with Eric, uh, Eric was in tears. He literally was in tears because, he, because I hadn't shared with him what I'd been going through. And uh, one of my main reasons for not doing that was because everybody in this church dumps on Eric or Tom. I didn't want to add one more thing to his plate. And for that, I, I want to apologize to you for that. 
because I love you and I know that it wouldn't have been a burden to you. Uh, so we have to remember that there are people out there for us, waiting to hear us, waiting to help us, waiting to lift us up, waiting to say, no, that's not who you are. This is who you are. We, we have to do that. That's why it's, we're not supposed to give up meeting together. And it's kind of funny because, like I said, I have three accountability partners, and if you ask my wife, she always laughs about that, and she says, yeah, it's because he's got so many problems. <laughs> well, guilty as charged, right? <laughs> uh, but I also have my prophetic team. And my, my prophetic team is awesome. And when I shared with them what was going on, that pouring of love was just unbelievable. And you know what the weird thing was, what they did to me when I shared with them? They started speaking identity into me. That was the first thing that they did. They said, Jeff, that's not who you are. Jeff, you're a seer. You're a lover of God. You're a man of God. You're a warrior. That's who you are. See, that's why we need to continue to come together with our brothers and sisters because they know who we are when we've forgotten. And we oftentimes forget because of crises in our lives. I've come to the realization. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I missed a page. I missed a line. I've had prophetic words spoken over me many times. And some of the words that have come to pass and some of the words haven't. And I've come to the realization that the words that have not come to pass are they were because I wasn't walking in my identity, who I was. And God was not ready to make those words come to pass because I didn't know who I was yet. And it was really important that I stepped into that. And when I started to, do, to, to step into my identity, and this has just been recently, that's when things start to come to fruition. Things start to happen in my life, in my wife's life, in our family's life. Things are starting to happen now because we understand who we are as children of God. And things start to become clearer. How does God see our identity? Oh my gosh, we've been talking about this for two months. Right? Two months we've been talking about how God sees our identity. He sees us as sons and daughters. Right? So what's it look like in God's eyes? We've already talked about it. John 1.12. But those who embrace him and took hold of his name were given authority to become children of God. Wow. That's, that's, we've been given that authority to be called children of God. You all know the story of Gideon, right? Judges 6, 11 through 12. Now an angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth tree, with, uh, <coughs> which was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz, while his son Gideon threaded wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. What did Gideon say? You know, he's, he's back-treading. He's back walking, and, he, and, and, and what he's saying is, is that, are you talking to me? Are you kidding me? I'm in the, the least clan, and I'm the least in that clan, so I am basically, he's calling himself the lowest in Israel. That's who he was, the lowest in Israel. That's how he saw himself. Why did he see himself like that? Did his parents talk to him like that? Did his parents tell him that he was the least? Did his friends? I don't know. But that's who 
he thought he was until God started to deal with him and proclaim who he was. He was a mighty man of valor. And so he goes through this. You guys need to read the book of Judges, and you need to read about Gideon, verse, or chapter 6 through 7, because it's a wonderful story of how a man was transformed from nothing to a mighty man of valor that went out and defeated an army, the Midianites, with a jug with a torch in it and a trumpet in a hand and 300 men. And the scriptures tell us the valley was covered like grasshoppers with the Midianites. And he defeated them with 300 men. Why? Because he finally started to believe who he said he was, who God said he was. He was a mighty man of valor. And he finally got that truth in him. And 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this, But God chooses those whom the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And God chooses the puny and powerless to shame the high and mighty. You think he did that with Gideon? Oh, he absolutely did. <clears throat> Psalms 139.14-16 I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. This is how God has, has put us together. It says, I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It seems, it's simply amazing to me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You've even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place. Carefully, skillfully shaped me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I've even seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Wow. That is something that when I read that, it just like it, it just gets a hold of my heart. <clears throat> and, it, and it's an expression of the Father's love that he would take that time for each and every one of us, every one of us to do that in his secret place. He's done that. So, I believe that when God uh, knitted Gideon together, right, that uh, he buried deep inside his DNA that he was a mighty man of valor. I believe that. And I believe that it took the situation, the tragedy that was going on at that time, and God stepping in and pulling out that identity in him for him to stand up and save his nation because that's what he did he saved the nation <clears throat> do you know that God fashioned you together as this complex mysterious breathtaking creation each and every one of you you're breathtaking to God you're mysterious and you're complex hmm. every one of you and he has planned every day for you to walk as sons and daughters. Tom taught about the lost son. And for many years, I've heard it taught the same way Tom taught it. About the extravagant love of the father. <clears throat> this story is trying to express the father's love and the joy for things great, of great value that have been lost. <clears throat> Excuse me. The radical, relentless love of our Father that waits for, longs for, 
and watches for our return. With open arms, never looking away, he's always looking for a return. And when he sees us, he puts a ring on our finger. We sang about this this morning, right? He puts a ring on our finger and the ring and a robe on us. The ring represents great affection. The robe represents righteousness. No matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what any of us have done. He's always waiting with open arms and his heart's beating out of his chest with excitement for our return. That's the love of the Father. That's the love that, 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 that he lavishes on us that I'm so excited about because nobody else does that. Nobody else does that but our Father. John, uh, 1 John 3, 1. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he's lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. Hmm. No true words. Do you know that authority comes from identity? Excuse me. Jesus was very aware of his identity at a very young age. At age 12, right? So his parents had journeyed like a day and a half because they were away from him for three days is what the scriptures say. I'm sure that's a CPS issue, but (laughs) 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 when they finally found him, he was in the synagogue, right? And he was was talking to the Pharisees. and, And what did he say? He said, I was about my father's business. How did he know at 12 years old to seek his father? How did he know that at 12 years old? And I know he was God. I know that. But remember, he gave up his deity and, to, and became flesh to fulfill his destiny. That's what, that's what he did. And Jesus would often slip away. I mean, when, when they start talking about uh, the ministry of Jesus, it talks about how he would slip away and pray early in the morning. He'd always get away with his father to pray because he always did what the father said. And he always, or he always said what the father said. He always, you know, did what he did. And so I think that his parents, this is just me, this is just Jeff thinking this. I think that his parents ingrained this inside of him. That at this very young age, seek the father. And seek the father. And seek the father. Get away. Get away. Seek the father alone in your secret place. And that became a way of life for him. So that was, it was, that's just the way he lived his life. And uh, spend time in prayer. Prayer is called talking to God, right? And we, we don't have to do this fancy these and thous and all this stuff and make things up to talk to God. He just wants us to talk to him just like we're talking now. That's what he wants. That's his heart for you to speak to him like that. And he's not going to say, oh, you did that wrong. I can't believe you're talking like that. He's good with it. That's what he wants. See, because out of that prayer time and that's talking to the Father, uh, this close, intimate relationship starts to develop. And as uh, we develop this relationship and Jesus developed this relationship with the Father, his authority came out of that relationship because the Father started to reveal this to him. This is who you are. This is what you're called to do, right? <clears throat> and with that authority, he calmed the seas. 
He gave sight to the blind. He healed the sick, cast out demons, and he ruined several funerals. Right? <laughs> no one left his presence unchanged in some way, either physically or spiritually. They never left it. They were exposed to the kingdom of heaven, and when you're exposed to that realm, you can't help but be affected in some way or another. You can't. When you're exposed, I mean, it's like when you have an encounter with the Father, that's, this is what truly changes you. When you have this actual Jeff and God encounter or Susan and God encounter, each, personal per- each person has a personal encounter with God. That changes you forever, and you'll never be the same. And that's what he wants. And, and, and out of that encounter grows this authority. <clears throat> you see, when we understand who we are and authority that we carry, we will also affect the world. John fourteen twelve, I t- listen to this. This is another great word. I tell you this timeless truth. That means there's no end to it. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater than these, because I go to my Father. This is a timeless truth. <clears throat> and I know for us, sometimes it's hard to, to wrap our mind around that. It's like trying to wrap our mind around the fact that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? But they're one. Trying to wrap our mind around the fact that God has always existed. There's never been a time when he didn't exist. How, how did that happen? Yeah. I, I, I don't know, Right? But there's some things we're not meant to know. So when I read this word, timeless truth, that doesn't mean, that, that, that means to me that when he said that, this is good for eternity. It never ends, right? So when the apostles died, this didn't die, like you hear many people talk about. This is the timeless truth that he's told us. <coughs> So we're going to do these mighty miracles. We're supposed to be doing these mighty miracles. Because that truth hasn't gone away, and nor will it until the Lord takes us all home. So I got a question. Why aren't we doing these things? Why aren't we emptying the hospitals, the nursing homes? Why don't the blind see? I wonder... If it's because we don't steward our identity well. You see, we waver back and forth depending on our mood, situation, what group of people we're around, what people think and say about us. When crisis or hard time comes our way and life slaps us in the face, do we hit the default button? Do we power down and try to restart and hope that when we do, all our problems are magically fixed? That's what we do with the computers, Mike. We hit the power button. We shut them down. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. That does not work in life. That doesn't, we can't go in the corner and cover up with a blanket and come out and say, da-da, it's all fixed. It's not, right? So when stuff like that happens and life slaps us in the face, do we do that or do we say, not today, Satan? Not today, Satan. I'm a child of loving God, and you have no authority over me, near me, or around me. That's a stance that we have to take. Do we do that? Sometimes we do when we're thinking about it, but a lot of times we don't. 
sometimes we cower down to the stuff that's going on around us because uh, we don't know who we are. We don't know that we have that authority. We put too much stock in what other people say and other people's opinion is of us instead of what God thinks about us. Right? When the world's beating us up, God's lifting us up. He picks us up and dusts off our pants when we screw up. And he says, Jeff, that didn't go so well for you, buddy. How are we going to do it different next time? And that's what our father does. What my father did was I had the bony finger pointing to my face said, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you. How could you screw that up? So that's how I visioned God for so many years because of my earthly father. So that's why it's important, and I think it was so fantastic that the healing that happened here today. So why does he do that? He does it because that's what a loving father does for his children. Do you know that he calls you his beloved? Beloved means greatly loved. You are greatly loved. Each and every one of you are greatly loved. Zephaniah 3.17 says, He rejoices over me with gladness. He doesn't rejoice over me because I've succeeded or I've failed. He rejoices over me because I'm his son. I'm his child. You're his daughter. You're his son. You're his children. And that is enough. That's why he rejoices over you. Nothing that you do, either good or bad, will change that ever. Does the world rejoice over you or with you when you fail? Of course they don't. They kick you when you're down because they like to see you down because that means they're probably going to go up. They don't, they don't rejoice with you when you succeed. They don't celebrate you with you when you succeed. They kick you. They get mad at you. They're jealous of you if you succeed. I want what you have. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting. And you, can you start to hear these comparisons? Timeless. Everlasting. Again, this is the Father speaking to us. I have loved you with an everlasting love. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5. You are the children of light and the children of day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. If God the creator of the universe and the heavens says these things about you. Then why in the world are we listening to the people or even caring about what other people think about us? I've had to turn my attention back to the Father and away from the world. And that's what I really want to express to you young people right now, especially because you're getting ready to go out into the world. Is, is that the world is a mean place and it wants, to, it, it wants to destroy you. It doesn't care about you. It cares about itself. But the Father does. 
And the Father wants to lift you up. And he wants to, and he wants to set you apart because you're special. Because of this love that he's lavished upon you. We must understand also that walking in our destiny and our identity requires something from us as sons and daughters. See, we have, the right, we have a responsibility to represent the kingdom of heaven, to carry the Father's message to the world. That's our responsibility as children of, of, of God. Matthew 10:8. you must continually bring healing to those who are sick and make it a habit to break off the demonic presence from people and raise the dead back to life. Freely you have received the power of the kingdom, so freely release it to others. There's no charge. You didn't have to pay for it. It's free. Don't keep it. Don't hoard it. Don't be spiritual hoarders. Give it away. But this is what I wanted to say with that. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I didn't know that I was a child of God, I would have no idea that I carried that authority. That I could do that. I would have no idea of that. God's made it pretty clear when he gave us Matthew 10, 8, what we're called to do as sons and daughters. Right? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. That's what we're supposed to do. We've all heard of the coronavirus, right? I mean, it's on the news. It's crazy. Uh, so I did some research on this, uh, on the CDC. And uh, this is what the CDC was saying. It says it spread from person to person which means there must be some kind of contact with another person that is infected or a surface that is infected from infected person has left bodily fluid on. It's an incubation period, 2 to 14 days, and it's approaching a pandemic. Now, there's a pandemic and there's an epidemic. Epidemic's regional, pandemic's global, right? And as I'm listening to this, God starts to talk to me. And, and it's like, okay, I, I just... It's funny the analogies that God uses with me in just everyday life because he wants me to understand this. And what he said was uh, he wants us as children, as his children, to be contagious from day one. (laughs) From the moment we come into contact with another person. From the very moment. We're not supposed to have an incubation period of 2 to 14 days. We're not supposed to have an incubation period and sit around for 5, 10, 15, 20 years waiting for something to happen or to manifest how many of us do that i did it for 20 years i was saved in 1985 and for 20 years i was lukewarm being ready to be vomited out of the mouth of the lord because that's who i was and when i heard that word i said that's the last thing i want We're supposed to be contagious from day one. When we come in contact with people, they should immediately know that we are carriers, not of a disease, but of the kingdom of heaven, right? We're supposed to start a pandemic. This is global, right? We're supposed to start this global pandemic. So am I representing my father's kingdom well? I have to ask myself that, and I want you to ask yourself that. Am I representing the father's kingdom well? Because sometimes I don't. Did I bring my father's kingdom with me or did I bring the world's kingdom? When I came into a room, did someone say, wow, what was that? 
What was going on with that? I, there's something different going on there. Am I a thermometer or a thermostat? What am I? Am I setting the temperature in the room? Absolutely. That's my goal. That's always my goal. Because we're supposed to represent the Father's kingdom, and the Father's kingdom is not of this world. So we know that we're supposed to represent the Father's kingdom, so represent means to represent, right? So are we representing Jesus to the world? And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're a follower, if you, a follower of Christ and you love him, he's your father. He's supposed to be the love of your life. Are you representing him well? Are you representing his kingdom? <clears throat> First Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom realm of God comes with power, not simply impressive words. What's that look like? Looks like Matthew 10, 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Right? That's, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what it looks like, coming with power. Don't, don't come in with impressive words and not be able to back it up. And, and as children of the kingdom of God, his kingdom, as children, we have that authority. We have that power. We're called to carry that with us wherever we go. See, I think there's, uh, there's got to come a time in this relationship with our, where our, with our Father where we actually believe we are who, we, who He says we are. There, there must come a time where we actually start to believe it. Who, who am I? You're my son. You're my daughter. That's who you are. Do I, do I believe that wholeheartedly? It depends on if I'm in a crisis or not depletes my identity as Tom shared that's why we come together to uplift and encourage right see I, I like to think of God uh, as a family man the family business God is in the business of family right he's always I mean from the front to the back of the scriptures he's in the business of family and see we're called to reign and rule with him Family is uh, so important to God that he felt important to call sons and daughters. That's how important it is to God. We don't just give the keys to the family business to strangers. We give them to family. See, uh, the groundwork's already been laid. The battle's been won by Jesus. And we're just called to enforce that victory as sons and daughters. And to remind Satan who we are as sons and daughters. We as children of God owe a debt to the world. We owe them an encounter with our Father. That's a debt that we owe to the world. So how do we, how do we get to where I was and where maybe some of you are in this funk, in this not knowing who I am, to where we need to be? First of all, we talked about it already, it's fellowship. Be careful, I'm especially talking to the young people. When you got into the world, be careful who you become friends with. Choose your friends wisely. Choose people that have the same values that you do, that are in the same vein as you, so to speak, that have the same heart as you, that love God, that want to serve God, 
or if you're hanging out with people who want to serve the world, that's exactly what's going to happen. You hang around them enough, and that's going to be inside of you, and that's who you're going to become. Reading the scriptures. What are you reading? What are you putting inside of you? What you put inside of you is what comes out of you. I stopped reading newspapers and stuff that really didn't change me. It, just, it was just information. I stopped reading stuff like that, and the only thing I read is uh, my scriptures, the Word of God, or books by people like Bill Johnson or Randy Clark or people like that, that are, or Heidi Baker that have, that have walked through some of these things and uh, encourage and uplifts us when we read them. It excites me when I read that stuff. And, and, and actually, <clears throat> I got to the point to where I read so many of those books. I said, God, I'm sick and tired of reading these books. I want to start writing them because I want to start living and experiencing this stuff and writing about it. Right? We, we all want to be a part of that. I mean, that's exciting. That gets my blood pumping. You could be working, you know, t 10, 12 hours a day, five, six days a week. And, and do something like that. And man, you've got energy and power to go for. And oh, and go, and go, and go. Because that's exciting. Worship. Worship all the time. We listen to worship here. I listen to worship all the time. Find a song you like. Play it a hundred times. <laughs> Whatever it looks like to you. What do you put? Are you putting, uh, is that country music in you that, Mama got ran over by a train and when she was drunk and all this type of stuff. Yeah. Are you putting that stuff in you? Because some of that stuff, uh, it's like the, it talks about killing people. It talks about just, just all sorts of bad things. Why would we want to put that stuff inside of us? Why would we want to defile ourselves as children of God? Why would we want to do that? Change the way we think. That's called the transformation of the mind. God wants you to transform and change the way that you think. He wants you to think kingdom values and not earthly values. We're called to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth for a purpose. So people may encounter our Father, our God. Thank you, Lord.